0: Hello, and welcome to another installment of the Weird Chronicles. Each episode, we bring you tales of action and adventure from Malafo and the Other Side. The Ten Thunders are a powerful and deadly faction in Malafo, but their rule is not absolute. There are those who are driven by bravery, or desperation, or grief to fight back. And sometimes, those people receive help from unexpected quarters. I hope you enjoy Festival Day. Festival Day by Bob Kuzameski Kaori ground the ingredients into paste, smells of berries, sugar and ginger, tickling her senses and making her stomach growl. She glanced at her mother for a moment and saw the woman occupied folding pastry dough. With her mother distracted, she dipped her finger into the concoction to sample the flavour. Somehow her mother noticed and slapped her wrist playfully but sternly. Kaori never understood how her mother seemed to see everything at once. Whenever she asked, Tamako would smile and explain that Kaori would only understand when she grew to become a mother herself. The sharp sting on her wrist brought her focus back to the task at hand. Her work was important, despite its monotony. No child, particularly a curious and active girl like Kaori, wanted to spend the better part of a day staring intently into a pestle, wielding a mortar until both wrists became numb. Though her mother described the task as meditative, Kaori knew it was something else. It was punishment for the sin of being young. Her mind wandered. At eight, there were so many other things she wanted to do. Her eyes strayed from the sweet-smelling paste and glanced at the activity around town. Down the street, workers were hanging colourful garland from street lamps. Nearby, a man went from home to home, decorating each drawer with painstakingly crafted origami blossoms. On this day, her drab town exploded with colour. Sometimes Kaori wondered if this display was more vibrant and beautiful than the real flowers used on the other side of the breach. Real flowers wither and die before origami paper loses its luster. How could the two even compare? Not that she could remember much about the real world. She'd been Malafo's side for most of her life. Glimpses of a previous life occasionally drifted through her mind, but she had no control over what images came or when they'd happen. Sometimes it was a smell that would waft into her window, and she'd remember her daddy's smell whenever he held her. The sweat of hard work, mixed with the soap he used to try and wash it away. Other times it was taste. Food was often different here. Sometimes better, usually worse. The Michiko fruit that she worked into jam being one exception. She pitied the real world that they should not taste its succulents. Soon her mother would fold the paste into the dough she was making, and tomorrow hundreds of flaky pastries would please everyone at the Mishiko Blossom Festival. The very idea of it made her stomach growl, this time audibly. Her mother smiled, knowing what questions Kaori would ask. The girls' inquiries were part of the annual ritual, every bit a part of the celebration as the festival itself. Mama? Kaori asked turning to face her mother. Why can't we make a batch tonight, just for us? Her eyes were wide and hopeful. She willed her mother to provide the answer she wanted. Her mother simply shook her head. No kiki, she said with disappointed patience. Tamako's strictness was born from her own upbringing and out of necessity. The instinct of a widow and mother to protect her child and to raise a good and honest woman. Her stern demeanour concealed an inner softness. Letting her daughter down was an unwelcome task, one that brought her sadness. It's tradition to wait until the festival begins, partaking in food as both a celebration of the day and a shared experience with our community. It would be wrong of us to eat some now and short others of their share. Aori bore a petulant expression, despite anticipating the answer. Tradition was something she still didn't quite understand, even though she tried to adhere to it. What's so important about this festival anyway? She muttered. Her mother considered her answer carefully, turning away from kneading dough to look at her daughter. Well, Kiki, we are short on time, but I will do my best to explain it. Tradition binds community. It ties people together by creating culture. In our homeland... The Asian community shares many such traditions to remind us that we are one people. Here in Malifo, the Mishiko Blossom Festival is our own, a celebration not honoured in our homeland. Mishiko's birth was monumental when we immigrated through the breach. It gave us cause for hope and something to celebrate together. It is our very own, and so is that much more special. Do you understand, little one? Kayori nodded though in truth was only trying to grasp what her mother said. Like most of the community, she did look forward to the celebration. There would be games, laughter, music, art, and food. People would be universally happy, if just for one day. She could not understand all of what her mother said, but grasped that tradition was a good thing. Tell me the story, she said as she turned her attention back to paste. This too was part of the tradition. Of course, Kiki, Tamako said. Mishiko was the firstborn child to our community after we moved here. Settling this land did not go well for us, for anyone really. This land is harsh and difficult to tame, but there is great wealth for those who succeed. Hope for a better life brought us here, but only a few of us will find it. Mishiko's birth represented the birth of hope for our burgeoning community. Seeing a child come into this world, born of this world, brought a sense of normalcy and thoughts of a bright future. Little did we know that this girl's birth was just the first miracle she would bring to us. Fiori knew that part of the tale. As a younger child, she was content to celebrate Mishiko's birthday. Now that she considered herself a big girl, she wanted to know more. Where is Mishiko now? She asked. Can I play with her? Her mother smiled. Kaori saw both pride and sadness in her mother's face. She was proud of her daughter's desire to know, but the melancholy in her eyes spoke of a poor end to the tale. Suddenly Kaori wasn't sure she wanted to hear the rest. She ground the paste more forcefully, stealing herself for the rest of what her mother had to say. Remember what I said about how difficult this world is. How not everyone succeeds. She asked in a solemn tone. Mishiko's parents did not find fortune here. Her father died several years after. His work in the mines caked his lungs with dust and one day choked off his breath completely. Much like it did to your father. Kaori refused to look at her mother, hearing the tears in Tamako's voice. She choked up whenever discussing her husband. Without his money? Mishiko's mother couldn't remain here. She decided it was time to move back across the breach and return to family in the homeland. The young girl would have none of it, insistent on staying in the only world she'd ever known. No words could convince her to go. One night, Mishiko ran away, deep into the woods. She was never seen again. Kaori's head filled with questions and wonder. Where could she have gone? Did she ever turn up? Maybe I should go look for her, she thought. Her mother continued, addressing the girl's thoughts She is long gone, Kiki. I know how your mind works, my sweet. She was five when she fled, certain to perish on her own. People searched for a few years more, but never found her. Eventually, her mother returned to the other side, without her husband or her daughter. A woman now broken by loss the casualty of Malifo. The searchers did find one thing, though, Tamako added. In the lands where Mishiko disappeared, a new tree began to grow, one that has never been seen before. Vibrant flowers erupted from the tree, decorating its branches in beautiful shades of red and purple. Eventually, they blossomed into the fruits you're grinding right now. She stopped working the dough for a moment and knelt down beside Kaori, gently pulling her daughter's face toward her to make eye contact. You see? She said quietly. The flower of that tree became known as the mishiko blossom. It is the first flower to grow from winter's cold grasp, and it signals the beginning of spring. Just as the girl brought hope to the land, her flower brings rebirth each year. She has become part of Malifo. Her short life symbolizes so much for us. Her birth tied us together and gave us hope. Her disappearance strengthened our community as we came together to look for her. And now her blossom brings spring and sustenance. It is only fitting that we should celebrate her memory. She ended the tale with a kiss on Kaori's cheek, then returned to her work. The girl continued with the pastry filling. A new feeling of reverence guiding her strokes. As her head struggled to grasp everything she'd learned, her movement grew more rhythmic, respectful, and meditative. Her work was not just work any longer. It was honor to Michiko's memory. And so Kaori worked for the rest of the day into evening. She no longer thought about or even noticed the pain and fatigue in her forearms. Her mind stopped wandering to things she would prefer to be doing or wondering what kinds of fun her friends might be having. During this time, it was just her and Michiko. When the sun set, Tomako told Kaori it was time to sleep. They'd wake early to bake the pastries for the celebration, just as they did each year. Kaori did not argue exhaustion setting in. She wanted to sleep so that she could wake and enjoy the festival even more, given her newfound knowledge. It came as soon as her head hit the pillow. She dreamt of children playing, everyone eating magnificent treats, adults laughing and the world being right, all because of Mishiko. In the dreams, Mishiko's spirit was there, radiating warmth and happiness. The morning sun woke her with a start. She should not still be asleep. Her mother needed her help in the kitchen before dawn's light. It was unlike Tamako to let the girl sleep in. Kaori threw on a robe and rushed to the kitchen, alarmed that she could not smell the sweets baking as she went. When she got to the kitchen, her mother was not there. The stove was cold, and the pastry dough smelled slightly sour. Concerned that her mother must have overslept as well, she rushed to Tamako's bedroom. When she flung the door open, A scene of horror accosted her eyes and burned grisly memories into her brain. Her mother's body lay in bed, twisted and contorted in impossible ways. Blood covered the sheets, pillows and bedspread even, as it continuously oozed from deep gashes that peppered the woman's body. In the rare uncut places, purple and red welts adorned her skin with the unmistakable patterns that Kaori recognised as knuckles. She attempted to rouse her mother, but Tamako was unresponsive. With howls of sorrow and fear, Keori ran toward Tamako's window, intending to open it and scream into the morning sun. Terrified thoughts stopped her from doing so. The first was the thought of the bruises on her mother's flesh. She knew those marks from vivid memories of seeing them on her father many times. When he was alive, men would sometimes visit the house and demand money from him. While father usually paid the fees, he sometimes had nothing to give. The men spoke of making an example of him, beating him with savagery that they seemed to personally enjoy. After a few such visits, her father carved out a room in the walls for Kaori and Tamako, a space for them to hide and be safe when the men came. They called it the hidey hole and allowed Kaori to decorate it however she wanted. They painted the room pink allowing Kaori to draw whatever she wanted on the walls to make the place as calming as they could for the young girl. Though her father's cries of pain cut through any sense of serenity, it was at least a retreat to provide a pittance of solace. Several fears stopped her from yelling out into the night. The chief concern was that the very same men had done this to her mother, alerting attention to it might bring Kaori the same fate. Another fear gripped her. The fear of a child old enough to reason, but lacking the wisdom to know better. What if they decided she did it? Horrible things happened in Malifaux all of the time. People sometimes did things that humans simply couldn't do. Would they consider her some sort of monster or witch? Would they send the guild after her to poke and prod at her until they knew how she ticked? It didn't seem worth the risk. She had no desire to face her mother's killers or be enslaved under the thumb of the guild overlords. Instead, she quietly closed the window and took to her hidey-hole. She was still tucked away when the lawmen came. They looked around the house and discussed what had likely happened. They said that one of the neighbours reported something suspicious when Tamako did not attend the festival. She heard them investigate for a while and listened to what they discussed. Though she could not catch each word, she gathered that the same men that sometimes attacked her dad also demanded money from her mother. The guild officers said they did it to a lot of people in town. They called them the Ten Thunders and said that everyone in town would be too afraid of them to cooperate and help find her mother's killer. One of them didn't even intend to ask around. He told the other that the Thunders had sent a very powerful message by making an example of Tamako on a day of celebration. The two officers then agreed to go looking for Kaori. They intended to bring her to the orphanage. When they left, Kaori went over their conversation in her head. At first she was angry that they would not at least ask around town for information. Scared lips never open, Tamako had once told her. If people were afraid of what happened to her mother, they wouldn't be much help to the officers. She had to admit that the officers were probably right. Amongst the jumble of thoughts that filled Kaori's mind, her mind kept coming back to one, orphanage. No one that spoke of the place did so above a whisper. His reputation for cruelty and inhumanity trumped even that at the jails. Lothar Marco had never threatened her with it, Many parents used tales of the institution to convince their children how lucky they were to have parents. Some even went so far as to threaten their children, saying they'd move back through the breach and leave the kids behind for the orphanage if they misbehaved. Aori's eyes welled with tears, and her heart raced with panic. What if I end up in that awful place? What if no one finds out who did this? How will I go on, Mamma? At her age, she didn't know the words for vengeance or revenge, but she felt the raw emotions just the same. She wanted whoever had hurt her mum to feel that same hurt. Grief over Tamako's death, anger at the killers, and fear of life in an orphanage overtaxed Kaori's brain and sapped her energy. Though she tried to figure out what to do, she hid away for hours and cried. Eventually, sleep overtook her. Shadows embraced Kaori when she awoke. The house was dark and quiet. She felt that she could finally emerge from the hidey hole. She went into Tamako's room, but the mortician had been and gone. Through the bedroom window, Kaori saw that the festival was still underway, though there seemed to be little participation and absolutely no revelry. People conversed quietly, often casting glances toward her house. She feared they might spot her, but the nervousness passed when she saw that no one came toward the house. She wondered if her mother's killers were out there, blending in with the rest of the community, or intimidating them as the officers suggested they might. Were the officers out there too? If so, they would surely come for her and take her to the orphanage. Her legs began moving before her brain could register her desire to run away to get as far away from the house and these people as she could. She fled out the back door and ran toward the woods. She didn't know what good it would do other than give her a chance to figure out what she could do or make people forget about her. A short time later, she crossed the forest boundary into a thick copse of trees. Scary even during the day, the wood seemed especially haunted and foreboding at night. Even small trees towered over little Kaori, and every branch seemed to be reaching out for her. She found the courage to press deeper, running as fast as she could without running into a tree. Having dodged under a number of low branches and climbed over fallen trees, her legs eventually began to burn, and she needed rest. She staggered to the ground, leaning with her back against a large oak tree. She slid down the trunk until she was sitting amongst its roots. The rough bark felt cold, which brought her some sense of comfort. She was sweating from fear and exertion. The tree's cold touch and the night's chill air served to help her regain some of her energy. The darkness was not as calming. She listened to the alien sounds of the forest and knew that she was completely alone. Running away was impulsive and she hadn't considered how scared she might become. Things lived out here, They moved. She hadn't recognized the dangers until she sat and listened. The moments of silence she endured were deeply quiet. No voices drifted in through windows, and the woods lacked the familiar sounds of her mother moving about the house. What she did hear was completely unrecognizable to her. Periods of silence made her sob with mourning. Sudden noises brought tears of terror. She considered running back to town. Maybe someone would help. Maybe the orphanage wouldn't be as bad as people said. Sitting against that tree, she debated for hours on what to do. What difference does it make? None of those people can bring Mama back. There's nothing there for me. The thought of living in a world where there were a million faces and none of them were her mother's became too much to bear. She'd rather her life be forfeit At least here she had freedom. She would not suffer painful reminders of her mother at every turn. Especially if I die, she thought, which will probably happen pretty soon out here. She lost track of time as she grieved at the base of the massive oak. When the sun's rays began to creep through the trees, she beheld the beauty of the forest for the first time. Golden light highlighted leaves of every shade of green making the trees glow majestically. Her tears dried immediately. She was sure this was a sign. She'd not been attacked by some kind of animal, had made it through the night, and was rewarded with a sight that she could not have even imagined. Something now told her that she had found safe haven. Hunger pangs focused her attention on the more immediate need to find food. She knew little about the woodlands, But record something about berries, nuts, and mushrooms gathered in the forest and brought to town. She set out in search of something. It didn't take her long to find a tree covered with some sort of red fruit. Its branches were so laden with berries that they nearly touched the ground. Kaori could eat here for days if need be. She approached the tree and plucked one of the succulent fruits from the limb and inhaled its smell. It was both sweet and sour with overtones that reminded her of an apple. When she opened her mouth to take a bite, a large blackbird swooped down from the sky and knocked it from her hand. The bird landed on the branch as Kaori fell and scrambled back from the tree. She expected the bird to attack and claw at her, but it never did. Instead, it perched on a branch and cocked its head quizzically at the young girl. Only when she overcame her fear and stood did it react letting out a large and threatening squawk. Foolish child, Kaori muttered, a phrase her mother sometimes used when she'd done something wrong. You were going to die out here after all. Just a stupid little girl all alone in the woods. Oh, you are not alone, a soothing voice said from behind her. And as for dying, well, he's stopping you from doing that right now. That fruit is poison to humans. You wouldn't last a week after eating one. Kaori jumped. She turned quickly and saw a young woman walking out of the woods. In her panic, it actually looked like the woman was moving through the trees, phasing into and then out of the trunks. Her complexion was pale and a glowing light around her reminded Kaori of the sun coming through the trees. In this case, the light came directly from the girl. She smiled at Kaori. The smile contained such warmth and love that it immediately set Kaori at ease. She felt a connection immediately. You are Mishiko, Kaori said, somehow certain she was right. The girl nodded and moved closer. She radiated beauty, her face that of a young woman just past her teenage years. Smooth skin and long hair cradled her face as it cascaded its way down to her hips. She wore a flowing dress, intricately embroidered with vines and maple leaves. The broken ground, covered with acorn, sticks and protruding tree roots, did not seem to bother her bare feet. As she grew closer, Kaori saw through her, able to look at the trees directly behind her. You're dead, she said factually and without a hint of fear. Mishiko smiled. I am a spirit, she began to explain. But I am not dead. The look of confusion on Kaori's face drew another smile. I chose to be what I am. The spirit of nature watched over me when I fled here, a bit younger than you are now. It spoke to me, offering me a chance to join my soul with it. I did, and I became a spirit, one with the forest and its creatures. We are all. Bound together. What does that mean? Did it hurt? Keori asked. Not at all, Mishiko answered. I simply ceased to be a human. I left my body behind, which became the tree you know as the Mishiko blossom. In my new form, I can communicate with the creatures and plants all around me. As if to prove her point, a family of foxes entered the clearing and began to play. When Mishiko asked them to introduce themselves to Kaori, they began to play around her ankles. If I can see you, does that mean I am a spirit? Kaori asked, surprised at how hopeful she sounded. She wanted to be able to communicate with the forest around her as well. No, not yet. When you are ready, the spirit of nature intends to ask you to join it also. When that happens, should you choose to, you can be as I am, Mishiko answered. Kaori watched as she quickly changed into a young child, and then into an old woman. You will be timeless, appearing as you choose. You will know every creature in this wood. But that time is not now, she continued. There is something you must do first. She changed herself back into the young woman that first appeared. A look of sadness came across her face. Your mother's death must be avenged. Until then you are too strongly tied to the mortal world and will not be able to renounce your previous form. Kaori's eyes welled with tears at the memory of her mother. Meeting Michiko filled her minds with hundreds of questions and a sense of awe that served to distract her from grief. The pain came back mercilessly when Mishiko spoke of her mother. I am so sorry, Mishiko added. I didn't mean to bring your pain rushing back in so suddenly. Ayori looked confused. How could she know how I feel? I am a part of you now, for as long as you'll have me, Mishiko answered. Our spirits are intertwined. How? I won't pretend I understand. There is still much for me to learn about being a nature spirit. I know only that when you spoke of me in reverence yesterday, when you thought so deeply of me and meditated as you were, your spirit called to mine. I've been with you since, helping to keep you safe. You couldn't help my mother! Aori spat out, more harshly than intended. Mishiko shook her head sadly. I can commune with the spirits of the woods, but can do little in the human world. When you ran here, to my sanctuary, I was able to help. But I think I can also help you bring justice to the murderers. Fiori said nothing at first, trying to make sense of what was happening. Is this real? Am I still asleep, dreaming? Am I also dead and this is the afterlife? Though she knew the answers, Mishiko said nothing. She understood that the girl needed time to adjust. Instead, she asked a number of creatures in the area to gather berries for Kaori. After several minutes, they began to lay offerings at Kaori's feet, and she began to eat them. Though still hungry, the fruit provided some sustenance and replenished her energy. She remained silent for a few moments longer, considering what Mishiko had suggested. How would we bring justice? Kaori asked. I don't know who did it. Not the individual, Mishiko answered. But you do know others that are connected. I saw the memories of your father's past. We will start with them. I have already asked some of my flying friends to look for those particular men. When we know where to find them, we will get the information we need. But they will not speak, Kaori said. Even the people who hate those men will not help. They are too scared. A wicked grin crossed Mishiko's face. Nature can be a comforting and wondrous place, she said. It can also be vicious and deadly. We will give them something to fear even more. How do I do it? Kaori asked as she finished packing the mud, stones, and branches into a large mound. She grasped sticks in both hands and laid down on the ground she'd just built up. You're going to go to sleep, Mishiko explained. When you do, you'll think of nothing but how the mud feels on your skin, how it smells and how the sticks feel in your hands. That's it. I will impart some of your spirit into the golem, channeling your anger through it. Kaori closed her eyes to let sleep come, but her inquisitive mind immediately thought of another question. Why are you helping me? she asked. Though they may not have been the same men, people like them harmed my own father. Mishiko answered with sadness. They took his money or beat him, much as you've described. They've done it to countless people in our community. If not for them, you and I may have had peaceful childhoods and normal lives. She was silent for a moment before adding, I intend for this to be a very public execution. We will let the people there know that they are safe and protected. Kaori opened her eyes then and saw the same look of malice that Mishiko had shown earlier. She almost felt sorry for the men they were about to visit. <laughs> Sleep came quickly after she again closed her eyes, courtesy of the herbs Mishiko had given her. Though she knew her body remained in place, she could feel aspects of her spirit become one with the earth below. Within a few minutes, she discovered that she could manipulate the mound, creating the golem Mishiko instructed her to make. She pushed mud and rock into a humanoid shape and arranged the sticks into claws on her hands. She could not believe the power that coursed through her as she stood and began to move. The anger and grief that Mishiko infused with this creature made her inhumanly strong. It was a suit of earthen armor, and it made Kaori feel invincible. Through the link she now shared with Mishiko's spirit, she could hear the girl's thoughts. My ravens found one of the men entering a tea garden, where he joined with a large group of men. Your mother's killer is almost certain to be among them. The two began moving toward the village. As an earth golem, Kaori travelled quickly, large and powerful legs using great strides to get her across land quickly. Mishiko's spirit was close by, as were the pack of wolves and wild dogs that followed. Behind them, a mauler chuffed and growled, anxious to tear into flesh. Aiko was the first to spot nature's army as they came charging out of the woods. She stopped working her loom and stared dumbfounded at a massive moving mountain that walked on two legs. The apparition that travelled by its side peeled off and began to come toward her, a pack of wolves behind it. Despite initial terror, she felt somehow soothed as the spirit grew closer. Its color shifted to a warm, golden hue that filled Aiko's heart with peace. Michiko, she whispered. Though this spirit was older than the missing girl could possibly be, somehow she was certain it was her. The spirit nodded. Send word ahead, the spirit told her. Tell the fine and honest villagers here, that Mishiko and Kaori have come to remove the blight that constantly eats away at their livelihood. Tell them to stay away from Hayatu's tea garden today. Remind them that what we do here, we do for Tamako's memory, and as a benefit to you all. Iko nodded, a slight sense of relief and satisfaction bringing lightness to her heart. She ran from door to door, relaying the message that the town was about to be cleansed. Hayatu enjoyed a life of luxury since allowing the Thunders to use his establishment as a meeting place. Not only did he avoid paying protection money, he sometimes profited from the men when they gathered for their private meetings, as they did today. He locked the door and entered the gardens to provide service for his customers. His sense of mirth turned to foreboding When the sky darkened a few minutes later, the bright sun disappeared, hidden away by a black cloud. Not a cloud, he realized. Those are birds. Avians of every shape and size flew chaotically above, purposely bringing about darkness. Some guests looked up in time to see falcons and hawks diving down, raking claws across their faces. Others began to scream and run toward the bushes, trying to get out of the garden, but finding the wall of vegetation too thick to pass. A few began firing their guns recklessly, downing the occasional bird, but doing very little to push back the attack. When all of the attention was on the birds, a massive creature burst through the garden wall, breaking through as if the bushes were made of paper. Deep in Hayatu's mind, it registered that no human could possess that strength but his eyes told him even sooner. The creature was roughly human-shaped, but large, bigger than a grizzly standing on its hind legs. It seemed as if the earth itself decided to take shape and stand, leaving Hayatu slack-jawed with fear and confusion. The creature began tearing through the men in the garden, starting with the ones that were slow to react. It punched forward, driving sharp sticks into their midsections, gutting them and then leaving corpses in heaps on the ground. Tamako's killer, it boomed, a gravelly voice that sounded as primitive as the creature looked. Where? The thing looked from face to face as if expecting an answer, finally setting its sights on Hayato. Kaori felt only hatred as she slaughtered the criminals, taking a small amount of delight in recognising a particular face as one of her father's tormentors. It was not enough. She wanted vengeance for her mother most of all. No one answered her bellowed command, but she soon smelled the pungent smell of human urine coming from the tea master. He had the weakest of will amongst these men. He would talk. She moved toward him, ignoring his repeated proclamations that he was not a murderer. While she pushed her way through the men, she began to feel the stinging jabs of knives piercing her side, but found them to be mostly just an annoyance. Her spirit felt real pain a moment later, when a bullet exploded through her chest, leaving a massive hole in her torso. She roared with rage and looked at the man who'd shot her. She plucked a large stone from somewhere in her leg, and hurled it at the shooter it hit him hard enough to reward kaori's ears with the satisfying crunch of his skull breaking in her peripheral vision she could see some men trying to flee through the damaged garden wall where they were met by michiko and her wolves screams of agony became a pleasing chorus as the wolves tore them apart slowly no one escapes michiko communicated to her kaori turned back to Hayatu. where she demanded. He said nothing, but his eyes gave the answer when he glanced toward a large man coming toward her, unafraid. He carried a sword in each hand. He spun them gracefully with the movement of a master. A moment later, he charged. The killer was fast and agile, ducking under her arm as she tried to gore him. Both blades swept upward, cutting off what passed for Keori's hand. She'd lost the deadly stick she wielded as a weapon. The intensity of the pain surprised her. She heard herself wail as she flinched away from the man. He smiled in satisfaction. When the other gang members saw one of their men knock the creature back, it bolstered their courage and many stepped forward to join the attack. She heard many shots ring out, feeling only a few enter burn into her core. Though the birds of prey were doing what they could to distract the shooters, it wasn't enough. Kaori was having trouble maintaining her balance. She needed to end the fight quickly. Pushing his advantage, the man sliced with one blade, cutting deeply into her leg. Though the blade moved through the mud with ease, a solid branch brought it to a halt before it could sever the limb. It brought the man close enough for her to retaliate, and she clubbed him with her injured arm. The blow struck soundly, with audibly snapping bone in his arm. The sword he'd held in that hand fell to the ground below. He scrambled back and looked at the thing he was fighting. What's Tamako to you anyway? He asked. She's just another peasant too dumb to do as she's told. The Kaori thing took a step toward him and roared in his face. Mother! He laughed and yelled out, Little girl, I don't know how you are controlling this thing, but once I put your puppet down, I'm coming for you. He lunged upward, pushing the blade through her head and knocking her down with his weight. It was his fatal mistake, she immediately realized. While he sat atop her, pinning her to the ground and chopping away at her with his blade, she began to reform the golem structure. She enveloped him with mud while simultaneously melding with the ground. By the time he realized he was engulfed, he was too hindered to move. He screamed in horror at what was happening to him. Kaori brought her spirit deeper and deeper, pulling him further down into the ground. She was the garden. She could feel everything around her. She was large enough to pull him under, suffocating him completely. Only when his last breath choked off, did she leave the earth. She expected her spirit to immediately return to her body back in the woods, but instead felt Mishiko's spirit holding her in place. She appeared much like Mishiko, ethereal, timeless and beautiful. Townsfolk were peering in with curious wonder at the two spirits. Expressions of horror and relief crossed their various faces. Looking over the garden, Kaori could see that the wolves, dogs, and raptors had finished off the rest of the gang members in various brutal ways. Only Hayatu had survived. Uh, Please, he begged. Please let me live. I will serve you. I will honor Tamako's memory. I will do whatever you request of me. A smile spread across Kaori's face. It was not a smile of warmth or joy, but one like Mishiko displayed before the attack a malicious grin that symbolized nature's wrath. She reached out to the mauler, enhancing its sense of smell. The scent of blood brought it charging into the garden in a frenzy. Mishiko pointed to Hayatu, and the mauler descended on him, tearing him apart with its numerous claws. When all of the men were dead, Mishiko looked over at Kaori. The spirit of nature has chosen you, and you have felt its power. Your mother is avenged, and your ties to this world are severed. It is now time to choose between becoming one with us, or returning to the mortal world. Kaori smiled. This is what's meant to be, she said. There is nothing left for me in the world of the living. I will join you. I am glad to hear it, Mishiko said, looking genuinely pleased. I have been lonely. Your company is most welcome. Now come with me, please. I have an idea. With that, Mishiko sunk into the garden ground and Kaori followed. A few years later, children danced and sang around the tree in celebration of the Mishiko Blossom Festival. It was an unusual tree with a trunk that twisted and curved upward to form what most would call a feminine shape. Willow branches atop the tree, draped down, more on one side than the other. Long hair falling down the back of the woman. Mama, what kind of tree is that? A little girl asked. It's called Tamako's Remembrance, the mother explained. The bright blue flowers you see trailing down the trunk are said to be tears falling in remembrance of Tamako, a lady who was once a part of this community. What happened to her? The girl asked. It's an amazing story about three people that made our town a better place. But it is not one you are old enough yet to understand. The woman explained patiently. For now, just know that to be near this tree and to visit this garden will always bring you feelings of peace and safety. That's it for another episode of The Weird Chronicles. Join us next time for more tales of action and adventure.